I really like this episode. I know I say that every time, but I'm excited to talk about episode six with you guys. So we had the weekend off and now we're jumping right back in and we're going to be looking at episode six and let's just jump in with prayer. So in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. All glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, world without end, amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So, well, Jackie, I didn't know you were Canadian. Did I know you were Canadian? Oh, I did, because, yes, you mentioned it one time in an Instagram comment. You were talking about Canada um, in the Ascension. But anyway, I am glad to have you all back. We're looking at episode six, and um, I'd love to know if you had a favorite part of the episode. I probably should have asked that when we first started these discussions. That would have been interesting to kind of see everybody's first or favorite part or favorite line. Um, there's a lot of great lines in this episode. But one thing I really want to emphasize, again, I'm going to try not to just kind of do a synopsis of the episode because you've all watched it for the most part. But one thing I want to try to do in this in this little video is to, rather than just doing a synopsis, which we will, we'll do a little recap. Um, the key I want to focus on in, ep in episode six are that I think there are several good lessons in this episode. There's a lot to meditate on, not just, oh, this about Nicodemus and this about Matthew or this about the leper. But I think there's a lot to meditate on in our own relationship with Jesus. Um, and we find that in every episode, but I found it remarkably striking in this episode, how many little lessons there were for us that you could really take some of these passages and some of these quotes and really take it to prayer in a self-examination, like a little examine, um, and just to kind of look at these little passages, even some throwaway lines. There are some throwaway lines in this episode and then in the next episode that I think we we really should kind of focus in on and, and, and use them for our own prayer and meditation. So that's what I think is one of the keys of this episode is just these little lessons for our own relationship with Jesus. So again, we have an intro that's not a flashback. <laughs> I falsely set it up in our very first episode that the beginnings were flashbacks and only half of them are flashbacks as we see. Um, I think the most striking intros to me are the flashbacks. And so they're the ones that kind of were in my mind. But I have to say, I said that on episode one, when we were first talking about this. I said, oh, and there's flashbacks every episode and it's like the liturgy of the word. And uh, so one of the youth ministers that um, has been watching this, she took that to her youth team and said like, oh, the episodes all start with flashbacks. And then they binge watched all the episodes on a retreat this weekend, which was really fun. I got to participate in that. And we realized, oh, they are all flashbacks. So I made her look kind of foolish. So sorry, Angie. So we have another non-flashback beginning. Um, and this really introduces us to the idea of leprosy. And so we have this man and he goes and he tries to sell his tools because this is, he needs money. He's been rejected. Why? Because of leprosy. So he's unclean. And um, we see, you know, the guy says four cubits um, and the guy wants him, you know, the guy, the pawn shop broker is terrified that this leper is in his, is in his, his store because the leper would have brought, um, would have made the, the storekeeper unclean by touching him. So we find it in Leviticus 13, the, the rules of, of cleanliness when it comes to skin diseases like leprosy or Hansen's disease. So there, there were rules like you must walk four cubits. That later comes from rabbinic writings. So in Leviticus 13, we see the rule of the, 
the leper must say unclean, unclean, and warn people that he's there. Um, and then in later rabbinic writing, there was such that you have to keep four cubits away. Um, one rule was you had to keep a hundred cubits away if the wind was blowing a certain way. But um, but we have all these rules and regulations because there because leprosy was a, a disease that was that made you ritually unclean. Um, and so you were ritually unclean, which meant you couldn't go into the temple. Um, so there's a lot to say about ritual cleanliness. Um, I think it's important for us not to get distracted um, and think that there's like sin to ritual and cleanliness. Sometimes we falsely depict what ritual cleanliness was all about. And it's not that you were sinful because women were ritually unclean a lot. Um, women were ritually unclean at different times of the month. They were ritually unclean after giving birth. You were ritually unclean when you buried somebody, when you touched a dead person. So um, Amy Jill Levine is a, is a Jewish scholar of the New Testament, which is kind of interesting. And she's really good at pointing out that um, that the that ritual and cleanliness often was actually when you touched life, um, when you came in contact with life and death, that's when you were ritually unclean. So um, it's not necessarily that you sinned or that you were sinful; it's that you couldn't enter the temple. Um, so I actually talk a lot about this in one of my Bible studies. Um, so I'm just going to give a little quick pitch, and I'm going to do it again in Wednesday. Um, we talk about it in one of my Bible studies called Encountering Christ, which is on discipleship. And in the, the session that we talk about, the woman with the hemorrhage. Because if you remember, the woman with the hemorrhage reaches out and touches, touches Jesus's cloak. Um, and so I go into the idea as I follow this woman's story into the idea of ritual and cleanliness. Um, so it's important. Um, the, the woman, um, so my Bible study can be found if you become a patron and you are a $40 tier, then I will mail you my Bible studies, um, hard copies of them. Um, but when the woman touches Jesus or when Jesus touches the leper, because that person's unclean, Jesus would become unclean. Um, and so according to Jewish law, Jesus becomes ritually impure when coming into contact with this leper in this scene. Um, and that's why the moment is so obviously that's why the disciples are, are so um, are, they're not just worried because they could get leprosy. They're worried because this leper was going to make them unclean by by touching them. But the leper, notice he doesn't say unclean, unclean. He comes to Christ and he has that faith to come to Christ. But you'll notice in both stories of the woman with the hemorrhage and then here with Jesus and the leper, we don't see the contagiousness of impurity, right? The leper doesn't make Jesus unclean. We see the contagiousness of purity. Jesus makes them pure. Jesus makes the leper ritually pure by cleansing him of his leprosy and telling him to take, go to the priests and, and show himself to the priest, which is what Leviticus said upon the cure of leprosy. So Jesus removes what makes them impure and therefore restores this leper to a state of ritual purity. He removes what bars this leper from the temple, from covenant worship, from being a law abiding, um, worshiping devout Jew. And so throughout his public ministry, we don't see Jesus ignoring purity laws or dismissing purity laws. Rather, he's fulfilling purity laws. He's transforming them. He's helping these ritually impure people become pure. 
Um, it's interesting, some cases of ritual impurity required bathing in a mikvah, which would have been a, a pool of water. And when you read the Jewish sources talking about the mikvah, they would be outside synagogues and you would go for your ritual purification. Um, and the, the rabbis were very precise that mikvahs had to be flowing water. Um, the only only immersion in flowing water was valid for purification. And what did they call this flowing water? But living water, living water. And so we see if you haven't read John four or if you haven't watched Wednesday's episode, episode eight, we see Christ himself, right, is the living water. He's the one who cures us. And for many of us, he doesn't cure us of our physical ailments. He doesn't cure us of leprosy, but he cures us of our sinfulness. Jackie, absolutely, right? The contagiousness of sin. So there's that contagiousness of sin that evil proliferates and Christ comes to touch us. How? In the sacrament of confession in the sacrament of Holy Communion. He comes to embrace us and to purify us and that we have the contagiousness of purity, removing that sin and making us not ritually pure in the Jewish sense, but becoming pure and able to enter into covenant worship, to enter into the new worship in the new temple, Christ's body, Christ's very self. Um, is that why water needs to be flowing in baptism? It's possible um, that that's connected to our Jewish brothers and sisters, the idea of that, that pure, fresh, flowing water. Um, because for baptism to be valid, you do need to pour um, over. So baptismal fonts actually don't need to be flowing. You can have a basin of water, but the priest would pour the water. Um, that's part of the form and the matter of baptism. Um, so just a little note kind of about leprosy and this, this idea that, um, I mean, I love how, how Christ, uh, that intimacy of that encounter, um, of, with the leper, right. That drama of that intimacy that Jesus touches him, even though it would have made, um, made him unclean, but that Christ is not afraid and goes and embraces him and his embrace makes him clean, makes the leper clean. Um, so we find the story, just to kind of note the story of the leper approaching Christ. Um, we find the story in Mark 1. We also find it in Luke 5 and Matthew 8. So as I've mentioned before, Dallas is trying to weave together all the gospels. Um, and so if you're reading Matthew's gospel, you're thinking, oh, we kind of jumped forward a little bit because we've skipped Matthew 5. We've skipped the Sermon on the Mount. We've skipped some pretty big moments in the gospel of Matthew. But if you're reading the gospel of Mark or the gospel of Luke, it's much more in line um, where we have kind of the healing of Peter's mother-in-law. And then we have um, Mark. We have Mark's account of this leper um, and then the cure of the paralytic, which will come later in this episode. Um, sorry, we don't have Peter's mother-in-law yet. Right. So so at least in the chosen in Mark's gospel, we did. But so we have kind of this 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 all these events happening in Capernaum and Dallas is trying to kind of sort them out. Um so we're in Mark 140. Um, I don't know what you thought when the leper approached Jesus and said, if you will it, you can make me clean. Did anybody else think, how do you know Jesus? My first thought was, how does this guy know who Jesus is? It's not like Jesus has an Instagram account. It's not like Jesus's picture would have been in the newspaper. How does this guy know Jesus? And so I loved the filmmaker's little, um, little addition that his, was it that his sister was a servant at the wedding? Um, 
he just kind of says that and I'm like, oh, okay. So that makes sense. You know, we obviously don't know that, right? That was kind of the filmmaker's thought, like how would this leper know who Jesus was? Um, then the gospels tell us after this cure, this his fame begins to spread. Um, but I'm like, how does this guy know who Jesus is? And so I, I liked that little touch. Um, and I really love that encounter, right? It really is an encounter between the leper and Christ. Okay, let's jump to Nicodemus. Um, we see growing controversy about John the Baptist with Nicodemus, and we don't see that much in the Gospels. We, um, but I like that they're kind of mentioning this. First of all, it's it makes sense that John would be causing a stir after John's words against the scribes and Pharisees, after John's baptism of repentance. Um, it makes sense that John's not just causing a stir with Herod, but also causing a stir with the um, with the Jewish scribes and Pharisees at the time. Um, so we see some growing controversy about John. It's good foreshadowing, of course. Um, just as John and Nicodemus's little conversation was foreshadowing of it'd be a terrible precedent for Rome to adjudicate a Jewish um, disagreement. That was good foreshadowing. This is good foreshadowing, right? Um, let's stay with Nicodemus then. Later, he has that conversation with Shmuel. Shmuel, I can't say it as well as the actor that plays Nicodemus, who's phenomenal. I mean, he's been in a lot of different other things. Um, but I, I can't say Shmuel's name the way Nicodemus does. Um, but let's look at Nicodemus when he when he has that conversation with Shmuel. Um, Christina, I'm really I'm glad you liked this episode. That's great. Um, I know a lot of people whose favorite episode is this episode with in six. Um, I think I've changed my favorite episode. I think it's seven. No, no, I think it's still five. But um, this is a really good episode. So Shmuel talks or Nicodemus talks to him. And I think this is one of those lessons that we should kind of take to our own prayer, this conversation. Um, and he kind of he kind of challenges Shmuel that Shmuel's putting God in a box, right? Um, that he is putting God in this box, that he has decided um, what God's limits are. Um, now, I do that all the time, right? I'm always deciding what God can do and what God can't do, what's possible and what's not possible. Um, and so I think I really resonated with this conversation. What Nicodemus says echoes the, the fathers of the church um, when he questions, you know, who are we to put limitations on God or if scripture contradicts itself. So the scripture, the church fathers talked about if scripture contradicts itself, it's not scripture contradicting itself. It's that we don't understand it. And um, so I thought Nicodemus's words here were, were similar to that, um, that it may not be the problem in scripture. Chances are it's a problem with us. It's a problem with our understanding. Um, of course, these two are living it, right? We have the benefit of looking back at a canon of scripture that's been accepted for 2000 years. Um, these guys are in the midst of living this. And so they're struggling with figuring out, you know, God is a God of surprises. And I don't know about you, but I can really sympathize with Shmuel and with the other Pharisees who are seeing, um, you know, disobedience of the law and or a disregard for the law. Um, and like we talked about in the Sabbath episode, you know, these these laws were not bad by any means. They actually preserved the Jewish identity. They were given to them by Adonai. They were um, it, we don't never want to condemn these laws. And Jesus doesn't condemn the laws. Jesus condemns how they are living out the laws. Um, but I kind of I have a lot of sympathy for this struggle with the Pharisees and Jesus, who's really challenging them. 
I love how Nicodemus in this in this dialogue is really depicted as being willing to be a student. Um, he's willing to learn. Can God do something new? He's open to that. And um, Christina, absolutely. That is that makes sense of how he's willing ultimately to accept Jesus at the end of Jesus's life at the at the at the death at the crucifixion right um or that he stands up in the sanhedrin eventually um it makes sense that nicodemus is open to being a student he's open to being to believing that god can do something new so it's a really beautiful depiction of nicodemus and um, obviously we'll get more with nicodemus tomorrow in episode seven now let's move to the disciples. So we've looked at that, the leprosy. We've looked at the cure of the leper. Um, Jesus's ministry is, is becoming more prevalent, right? He's moving out of the private life into the public life. There's still that messianic secret where he's saying, you know, tells the leper, don't tell anybody. Um, but it's becoming more and more public. So we have Nicodemus. Now I want to move to the disciples. Um, this is one of those throwaway conversations when we first see Simon and little James, they're kind of packing up, they're getting ready to, to move camp. Um, so we think they probably are camped outside Nazareth because Jesus takes his mom home, but then all of a sudden he's back. Um, so I think they must have been outside of Nazareth. Now they're heading back to Capernaum. Um, and so we have this kind of little throwaway conversation between Simon and little James, but it's really, really important. Um, I think so James says, I thought I was prepared for life on the road, snakes, hunger, floods, Peter, the Torah doesn't mention the blisters, huh? James, you've never read the book on constant low level aches, Peter, the sermon about dust in your nose. So it's just this kind of fun little exchange about life on the road and life following Jesus, not being what they expected. But I think it can be kind of tossed about as just comedic relief. But I actually think it's a really important exchange because low level aches, right? The stuff of, of the dust in your nose, that stuff that you're not expecting discipleship to be about, um, that's exactly the stuff that holiness is made of. We want discipleship and holiness to be dramatic, right? We want the grand story. We want the miracles. We want maybe the really severe tests. We want to like be told by Jesus to get out of the boat and walk across water. Um, but it's usually stuff like dust in your nose. That's daily holiness. And this is a, a mantra that I, this is kind of my thing. So if I'm ever coming to your parish to give a parish mission, or if you ever have me, you know, come give a talk, I'm probably going to talk about this because I think this is very, very important. Um, holiness is more like in this conversation, the dust in your nose, because we miss those opportunities when we're looking for something bigger, right? When we're looking for that moment to step outside the boat, when we're looking for that cure of the leper, when we're looking for the really hard stuff, the martyrdom, we're looking and we're avoiding the dust in our nose, it's present, right? So we complain about the dust in the nose. We complain about the blisters. We complain about the aches and pains while in the same breath, we're like, I would do anything for Jesus. I will die for him. Yeah, you'll do anything but offer up the dust in the nose, right? You'll do anything but offer up those blisters, right? And so I love this little exchange because it shows us that discipleship often isn't the dramatic moments. Discipleship is often the blisters on the feet that you can offer up 
and not complain about and offer up for this, the poor souls in purgatory or offer up for a sinner, for a, a wound that you're dealing with or offer up for, you know, in reparation for your own sins. Um, that's what discipleship is. That's what holiness is. And so I love this exchange. Um, but we're really willing to complain about the dust in our nose while saying, yeah, I'm, you know, willing to do anything for Jesus. No, you're not. Not if you're not willing to offer up the dust in your nose. So I really love that, that little exchange. And I think it's really important. Um, right after that, you know, James, it's revealed that James is a singer. Um, and Peter's like, what are you going to do? You know, what's, you know, and James has that really great line. He's the only one who knows who I will become. And this sets up this kind of surrender to who knows what's going to happen to these apostles. They don't know what's going to happen to them, but Jesus does. And James has this like beautiful surrender of like, Jesus is the only one that knows who I will become. Isn't that a lesson we need to take to prayer? When we worry about the future, when we wonder what 10 years has in store for us, Jesus is the only one that knows who you will become. And that's okay. But so often we're Peter, right? Peter wants to know the end of the story. Peter wants to know, or Peter wants to dictate the end of the story, right? And we're really seeing that character um, flaw come out in Peter, right? Um, number one, Peter wants to protect the others, right? And Jesus says, you know, in time you will, like chill, Peter, right? Um, but right now your duty is to Eden, and we're going to talk a lot about that tomorrow, uh, Wednesday, Wednesday, it's in episode eight. Um, but we see this, this restlessness in Peter in Simon um, because he wants to fight the Romans or he wants to do what he wants to do, what he thinks Jesus needs. Oh my gosh. Is that me? Yeah, absolutely. Right. I want to do what I think the Lord needs from me. Um, and James is like, only Lord knows. And John later in that discussion, when they're in um, Zebedee's house, you know, Peter's like, again, wanting to protect Jesus. And, and, and John's like, listen, Jesus will tell you what we need to do when we need to do it. It's a beautiful little exchange, right? Just chill, Simon. When, when we need to do something, Jesus will tell us to do it until then just be you. That's a great lesson from John there, right? Just be you, Peter. Like Jesus will tell us. Jesus will tell us. So there's these little great nuggets that should be self-examinations and they're not just throwaway lines. They're not just, um, you know, like this is why a whole retreat could be done on the chosen because it's these little paragraphs that now, you know, like pause that movie and go think about that. Right. Um, those are the moments we need to take to prayer. Simon's a little bit overwhelming, Christina. You're right. He's a little bit overwhelming. Um, but I think he probably was too. Like, I think they're really setting up this, this passionate leader um, who Jesus is really going to have to mold, is really going to have to shape into the future rock, right? Is he a rock right now? Mm -mm, nope. Um, another throwaway line worth reflecting on. Uh, let's move to Matthew. So Matthew has this little exchange with Quintus. Um, I know a lot of people who really love Quintus. Quintus is a great, um, he's just good for comedic relief at a lot of times. But Quintus, you might not have caught this. It confused me a few times. But Quintus's childhood rival is in uh, Herod's envoy. So Herod's envoy is on his way. And um, one of the soldiers under Herod is a, is a rival of Quintus. And Quintus wants to show this rival that he is better than him. And so he says to Matthew, what should I do? And Matthew says, I would show him my plans for infrastructure. Conquest is not simply conquering nations, but imposing a way of life. Again, a throwaway line that you might not have even noted. If this was your first time watching, you're like, what are we talking about? Which is, was me about three times, uh, the first three times. Um, so he's saying, you know, show your childhood friend your 
plans for infrastructure of Capernaum showing that you really have a mindset for conquest and you're going to be successful in conquest. Conquest is not simply conquering nations, but imposing a way of life. Why is that line important? Because that's what Jesus does when he wins our hearts. It's not just about surrendering to Jesus. It's about having a new way of life. Jesus, when he conquests our, when he conquests our hearts, did I just make up a word? Yeah, probably. When he takes over our hearts, he also brings a new way of life. Um, and if the secular culture is going to win, it has to impose a different way of life. So we have to make sure we hold on to the way of life of the gospel. So I think that's an important little uh, line. Okay, I'm going to move forward because we're running out of time and we haven't even gotten to the miracle. One thing, you know, with Matthew, we have this growing uh, animosity between Matthew and Simon. And I think that's really important. Um even, you know, season two, it really comes out. But even before season two, I wrote in my notes before I'd even seen season two, I wrote in my notes. It's really fascinating to see um, apostles might not have gotten along. And we don't think about that, right? Twelve dudes probably didn't always get along. And so we're seeing that. Um, every time I watch, I see something new. This is completely random, but I saw, I watched it this weekend for what, the seventh or eighth time. And I'd never noticed this before that Zebedee on the roof of his house is on raisin duty. And I burst out laughing because I'd never caught that before. So, um, Salome, his wife calls up to him and says, will you check the raisins? So there's grapes laying out and they're becoming raisins. And Zebedee says, oh, the boys aren't here to be on raisin duty. And he tastes one of the raisins and it's not ready yet. I just thought that was hilarious because I had never caught that before. Um, I love when Jesus comes to Salome and Zebedee's house and Salome is just like standing there, like totally in awe. It makes me crack up every time. Um, she's just so in awe of the Messiah. Um, I love that innocence. I love like, are we that in awe of Jesus? We should be that in awe of Jesus. Um, and remember, we're going to meet Salome again because she has a really interesting little part with James and John and Jesus coming up. So maybe, I don't know, season three, who knows? So we'll meet Salome again, definitely, I'd imagine. Um, I don't know if you noticed the woman who comes in um, at first to ask Jesus a question. We've met her before in episode three, and it's Abigail's mom. So it's a little foreshadowing that we're going to see Abigail again. And sure enough, we have Abigail and Joshua on the roof watching the miracle happen. I love that. I love how they accept Matthew right away. Right away. Um, you know, they they kind of throw grapes at him. He thinks he's getting thrown, rocks thrown at him because people are spitting at him. Um, nope. They're throwing grapes at him because they want, they want to, they want him to come up and join them. And there's that childhood. There's a reason we're supposed to be like little children, right? They accept Matthew right away. Um, Christina. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You hoped that Andrew would reach out to Matthew. Matthew's hated. And I think we can't underestimate how much Matthew would have been hated. And um, these guys aren't converted yet. Right. Um, the apostles have a lot to um, he They have a lot of wounds that need healed. Um, and Matthew has a lot that needs healed, too. Right. And we'll see that more in, in season two. I love when Jesus is chatting. He uses Abner. So Abner was, of course, the the father of the bride that we saw in last episode. And I just love how he uses him to segue into a parable because it shows us that Jesus's parables would have been very natural. Right. Um, he was just telling stories and he was weaving his teaching very naturally into conversation. So we saw it on the seashore with the net, but we see it here with the wedding feast. He's just kind of chatting and people are asking him questions. Um, Barnaby has one of the best lines of the whole episode when he asks Jesus to 
do that to the, you know, change the well near his house into wine. I uh, love Barnaby. He's one of my favorites. Um, and so it's, we just see kind of this natural teaching um, developing as Jesus greets the crowds and the crowds build. So here we have the grand dramatic cure. Um, there's a lot to be said about this scene, but one thing I really love is how dramatic it is. You know, so often we read scripture and we're very familiar with the stories of scripture. So we're like, oh yeah, they let, they, you know, let a paralytic down into the, and, and, and priests will say like, oh, they remove the roof and try to like build up the drama. But we read the story and we're like, we know where this is going. You know, like this is, we know where this is headed. And so we fail to see the radical nature of this. We fail to see the drama and watching it really, I thought, brought home the drama. We're too used to it when we read it. But seeing it, we can see how dramatic it was. Um, the excitement that builds. I love how Peter's like, can you believe we're here for this? And, you know, there's this like, there's there's this radical drama around the cure. Um, one thing I do want to mention is that in scripture, so we find this in Mark 2. So again, it appears that Dallas is following Mark's gospel in this episode. We see it in Mark 2, Luke 5. So he could be following Luke as well. And then in Matthew 9. Um, one thing we see in the scripture is that Jesus heals the paralytic after seeing the faith of the paralytic's friends. And I think that's a really important thing to note that usually Jesus sees the faith of the person, right? Go, your faith has saved you. And obviously the paralytic has faith, but I think it's important that the gospel specifically says seeing the faith of his friends, that, that, that Jesus, when he saw their faith, doesn't say when he saw the paralytic's faith. When he saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, go pick up your mat and go home. Your sins are forgiven, right? And he forgives the sins, um, which is when he re he reads Shmuel's heart, right? It says in the Gospels that he read the the heart of the, read the minds of the Pharisees who said, who is this man that says, you know, who's this man that, that says he can, can forgive sins, right? Um, so he's reading the hearts of Shmuel and, um, when we'll see that later, Shmuel will reference that in the later episode, he'll say, I thought he read my mind. Um, cause I was like, how are they going to show that he read his mind? Shmuel references it later, but, um, but it says when he saw their faith, and I think it's so beautiful, the faith of that woman, um, to see that backstory of her being from Egypt, which I thought was really cool. Jesus speaking Egyptian to her. And then seeing her bring, like, we see how insistent she was. Um, and we see, like, if you were him, wouldn't you want your friends to do this? And Mary's like, I was him. I was him. Which reminds us that the greatest infirmity on earth is not paralyzed legs, but sin. And that's what Christ reminds us in this miracle as well. Um, and so I love the faith of his friends. And that's why Jesus, you know, your faith is beautiful. That's why Jesus um, cures the paralytic. So surround yourself with friends who would remove a roof for you. That's kind of the lesson, right? Surround yourself with friends who would do that for you. Um, so lots of little lessons. Christina, this miracle is one of my favorites. Yes. Good. I'm glad you liked how it was dramatized. I thought it was really dramatic and really radical. Um, just to see that man walk through the crowd. And it's almost like the world stopped, right? Because um, the the way that what they did with the sound editing and, um, you know, when he passes by and Nicodemus is like, what the heck, right? Um, ah, Christina, good point. Christina points out, also be the one who removes the roof for your friends, right? Um, and so what, are we bringing our friends to Christ? Especially the friends that we see need Christ, 
right? Again, the greatest infirmity is not paralyzed legs or leprosy. The greatest infirmity is sin. And so to be that witness for your friends, not condemning them, but being that joyful witness, encouraging them, you know, maybe you're going to confession this Saturday at church and you say, hey, do you want to come with me? Right. Um, Everybody confessions easier when you're standing in line with a friend. Um, So, yes, definitely be your be the one who removes the roof for your friends as well. Um, that's all I have today. I'd love to hear any thoughts or any notes that you have, um, anything that you liked, um, in this episode. Um, Jackie asked in a strange way, someone asked me recently, are all my friends Catholic? An interesting question. Um, that is an interesting question. You know, so often all of our friends might be Catholic because we run kind of in those circles. You know, me, I was working for the church for so long that all my coworkers for the most part were Catholic. Um, and all, you know, the friends I hung out with at church were Catholic. So sometimes I think it's very natural for all our friends to be Catholic, but at the same time, if we're only surrounding ourselves with like-minded people, are we really spreading the gospel? Are we really bringing others to Christ? Now, maybe all your friends are Catholic because you've converted all of them. Maybe. Um, but I do, I remember when I was leaving, um, actually when I was leaving one of my jobs, I worked for the church and I had a few coworkers who weren't Catholic. And I thought, has anybody ever invited them to become Catholic? Or do people just assume, oh, you work for the church, you work in the church, um, you're not Catholic, you must have already decided not to become Catholic. Well, what if they were just waiting for an invitation? What if some people are just waiting to be asked? Um, And are we willing to ask? Are we willing to bring them along? Um, Oh, you should have been taking notes when I watched. Christina says, I should have been taking notes when I watched. Um, I had so many comments on Saturday. So funny story, I, I binge watched uh, episodes five, six, seven, and eight with some youth ministers. Um, and so we were in a theater. It was full screen, big screen theater seating. It was awesome. But when I took notes, it was completely dark in the theater. And so my notes, I don't know if you can see that, but my notes were a little messy because I was writing in the complete dark and couldn't see what I was writing. So I had to kind of, I had to kind of discern my, my notes today, this morning when I was writing them out. Um, Yes, I agree, Jackie. We need those ones to be able to go out and evangelize. True. Um, In a lighter note, Christine says, Jesus better cure Peter's mother-in-law soon so they can get some dinner. I think you won't be disappointed in that scene. So it's coming. Hold on. Um, So Christina, you must have just watched six. So seven is is a fan favorite. So you have um, something to look forward to in seven and eight. I think think we really um, finished this season with a bang. Six, I think five, six, seven, and eight, five, six, seven, eight are really strong. It could be that, you know, we had to build a lot up. We had a lot of character development in the early season. Um, and so now we're having the Bible stories and we're having all these characters that we know and love and that we've pictured and now we're seeing them. Um, my mom made a really beautiful comment when um, I think it was the feast of Philip and James, I think. Um, and so she said, happy feast day. And she said, it's neat to celebrate um, the feast with faces to picture, you know, like to picture the, 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 the people, you know, that we know now and that we've kind of grown and fallen in love with. So it was fun. Um, how many times do we have to watch these to get it? So I'll be honest. I've seen them, like I said, with the raisin story. Now the raisin story is just like a throwaway. It's not important. Um, but I saw, found that on the eighth watch. Um, my friend, one of my, or my cousin pointed out today, you know, I commented in episode five where Mary hugs Jesus and Jesus like picks her off the ground and Jesus and Mary says, have you been eating? 
My cousin pointed out, what if that was kind of a, a wink to the fasting in the desert for 40 days? Like maybe he'd lost weight because he had been fasting for 40 days. I never caught that at all. So um, so there's some really neat things that you might not catch. Um, I, I was having trouble following the storyline until I watched it for the second time. The third time I really got it. I could tell the apostles apart. Um, but don't be ashamed if you've only watched it once or twice and you still get you kind of Andrew mixed up with, you know, I mean, I still have to think, is that James or is that John? Because some of the apostles look similar. So it takes a while to get it. Um, and that's one of the reasons I'm doing these, even just to answer like just questions about what the heck is going on, I think is important. Um, and so, yes, there are very good laugh out loud moments, Christina, you're right. And sometimes I have to try to remember what made me laugh out loud. Um, so I'm going to wrap up now, but if you have any other questions, um, you know, if you have any questions about something that happens or don't be afraid to take notes, don't be afraid to bring them. That's one of the reasons I'm doing these is to kind of sort stuff out and then kind of take us deeper, like about leprosy and uncleanliness and, and things like that, kind of sort these things out. Um, and then also give us some food to chew on, because I think there's so many good lines. Um, episode seven, too, has so many good lines that uh, we can really take to prayer. So, um, yeah. So don't be afraid to take notes, but I will see you all here tomorrow at 3.30 for episode seven, which again is a big fan favorite. It's a shorter one, um, but they pack a lot in episode seven. So, okay. God bless everyone. Thanks for chatting. Thanks for the, the conversation. We went a little over today, but it was worth it. So I will see you tomorrow. God bless.